Um, in one hand, it could be kind of a depressing clip, uh, just the whole, you know, fertilizing daffodils and all that stuff, you know, that whole death thing. But there's more, obviously, there's more to the, to the clip. Um, if you don't know the movie, uh, it's the Dead Poets Society. It came out in 1989. Um, some of us in the room were around then. Others weren't. If you haven't seen the movie, you should see it. it is, it's a powerful, powerful movie about, about youth, about inspiration, about, and, and, and there's sadness in it as well. Um, but I saw that movie. I was uh, 20 years old. It came out in 1989. I had been a Christian, or I guess I was, I think I was actually 19. Um, I had just, just become a Christian in 1987 in that, in that summer. And, um, and I was still in this I was in this place of learning and trying to understand what it meant to be um, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. I had grown up in the church, going to church um, in Canada, which was, you know, was nothing more than, you know, you, it was something that you did um, back in the day. You, you know, you, were, you joined the Rotary Club or the Chamber of Commerce or the Elks Club or whatever, and you went to church. And so my parents did that for, for, for most of my, you know, my young life and teenage years. Uh, my dad stopped after a while when it became, you know, it didn't really uh, help him anyway in his business. So my mom loved to sing and brought us going to church. And so it, was, it ended up being my mom and I. But I never really heard the gospel. And so when at, at, seven, or at 19, 18, 19, I heard the gospel for the first time, I, it was, a, it was a, an immediate choice. to. Uh, it was an easy decision to, to have a relationship with Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior. And I remember, you know, as I was trying to figure that stuff out and trying to figure out what, it, what uh, life would look like, um, this movie came out. And the, that scene um, gripped me. The idea of, of carpe diem, of, of seize the day, of, of, you know, even the clips, you know, the, his, as he was talking to the, to the boys, the idea that, you know, yes, one day, and for us as followers of Christ, it's not something to fear. Death is not something for us to fear because we know what's, what's next, right? We know that we sing the song, you've already won, right? We get to be with Jesus. But what we do with that time frame um, of, from birth to, to death is, is something altogether different. And, and it's like, what do we want to be? What do we want our lives to look like? And so... This is the New Year's message, or New Year's Eve message. Um, nothing about, bring it down a little bit. Um, nothing about this message will be about, you should make resolutions. Um, you should, you know, we should all, like, starting tomorrow, we're going to, you know, we're going we're gonna to change, we're going to lose some weight, or we're going to go for a run every other day or every other month, or we're going to read our Bibles all the way through. And speaking of Bibles, let me talk about that quick. You were going to say something. Yeah, see? I remembered. So let's talk about that, this really, really quick. There's an app, and I've, the last few times I've preached, I, I jokingly um, talk about, you know, pull out, you know, the Bible. You know, we have Bibles, actual Bibles, or your fake Bible, um, which is on your phone. There's a great app that, you're, that you can read from, which is called the Bible app. Oh, and it's version. If you go onto, you know, into the App Store, whatever device, Google Store or Apple Store, you can find it, and it's version. And it's a great, it's a free Bible, like, all the translations you could ever want. And the cool part about it is you can also have their plans that you can follow. So if you want to do a year plan, and Marcus and I were just talking about this morning, I, I, took, a, I took a break last year from reading the Bible um, in its entirety, and I would use a plan from version because I was getting to a place where I felt like I was just doing it to do it, and it was more duty out of a deep desire to be in God's word. 
So, because for probably for the last eight, nine years, I've been reading through the Bible all the way through. And I did that when I was in seminary and Bible college for eight years. I read the Bible and it kind of lost its uh, luster and my love and passion for the Word of God. But I'm jumping back in tomorrow, not out of a resolution, just because I'm like, we're going to start tomorrow. Um, but if you don't know about the app, um, Go find it, and it's, there's some great plans that you can find. You can do a year plan. You can do chronologically. You can do 30-day, 90-day. You can do seven-day plans just to help you kickstart maybe the new year or just maybe you're, maybe you're unsure about how to read the Bible. It's a great, it's a great, great resource that comes from Life Church, and, again, it's free. Um, so the idea, of, the idea of the Carpe Diem, coming back to the movie clip, the Carpe Diem, what gripped me was that I, I was looking at my life, and I was like, I want my life to be... I want my life to count. Um, and obviously, as, as followers of Christ, we, hopefully we all want that when we come into a relationship, whether it was you know, last year, last week, or 30 years, or 60 years, or however many years ago, we want our lives to mean something to, and to make a difference, um, and making a difference for Christ, because it's, it's not about us at the end of the day, right? It's not about me. It's not about Ken. It's not about any of us. It's about what, who we are for Jesus and how are we displaying Jesus in our, in our daily lives. And so sometimes I feel like um, the, the easier way to live life is the life of least, you know, the path of least resistance. I'm just going to do my life. You know, we've been told, you know, go get a job, go to college, get a job, and be in that job for, maybe we maybe don't say this as much these days, but I remember being told that and, and having that exampled. For me, by my dad, you, you get into a career that you like, and you're in it forever. You're in it till you retire. And I think that some of that has changed over the years. Um, more people are switching jobs every few years than they are maybe in the same kind of field, but they're changing jobs. But sometimes, for us, it is we get married, we have kids, we stay in the job, and it's just easy. And that's what we do. We never move. Um, we never move from our, the house we, you know, the house that we first bought, or we never move from the hometown that we, you know, that we grew up in. Um, and we just kind of we do we do life, but do life in a way that is mediocre. And I remember seeing this movie and being gripped by it. There's another movie that I, I remember seeing. I was I was thinking about how many clips I would show, but I decided to go with quotes and not movie clips and then stories. Um, but there's a great movie called Gladiator. In the opening scene of Gladiator, um, Russell Crowe's character, uh, Maximus, is speaking to the troops right before they're about to have bat do battle, and he, he speaks to them. He goes, what you do in life, what you do in life echoes in eternity. What you do in life echoes in eternity. It's this, this same idea as Carpe Diem. It's like, what do you want your life to count for? And so as we head into 2024, I want to kind of, I kind of want to touch on some of this stuff and, and, and this idea that, that that uh, this life um, is about seizing what God has given us through Jesus and believing it to be extraordinary. So let's put that quote up. Sorry, I'm sorry, Ken, I'm jumping. A, I'm jumping ahead pretty fast, so, I, so I'm not here for an hour, like I was a few months ago. So let me just say that quote again. It's up here. This life is about seizing what God has given us through Jesus and believing it to be extraordinary. And there's something really kind of powerful and key in this is believing that's extraordinary. So let me just ask you, and I mean, maybe not as much of a show of hands, but something for you to think about. Do you believe that the life you've been given through Jesus is extraordinary? Okay, I'm seeing lots of nodding. 
that's really a good start. Because <laughs> I think there's some people, and I've been around them, I've been in the church as a pastor and as a leader for decades, and sometimes I see people going, I don't really see what the point is. I love Jesus, but I look at my life and I go, what? Like I don't really see anything different about my life. And some of that is about belief. It's about believing that your life is, and he wants it to be, extraordinary. And that's kind of where we want to go um, today, is, is that he, God gave us this, an incredible life through Jesus. Without Jesus, without Jesus' birth, which we celebrated last week, and ultimately his death, which we celebrated at Easter, but his death doesn't end, his resurrection, that we have life. We have extraordinary, we have the ability to have extraordinary lives. And, and it, looks, it will look different for everybody, and, but, but the belief is there. Like Either you believe that God is for you, or you don't. Either you believe that God is, has a life for you, or you don't. There, there, really isn't, you know, there really isn't a middle ground. John in Revelation talks about, and Jesus really speaking through John, is going, listen, like, you, you need to make a choice. Like I, I see that you're, you know, speaking of the church at, Eph- at Ephesus, he's going, I see that you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. And lukewarm to me is this, like, yeah, yeah, I mean, Jesus is great. It's kind of, you know, that, that whole church thing is, I mean, it's cool, it's, but, and I love Jesus, but, you know, I'm not really all in. And what did, what did Jesus say through John because of the lukewarmness? He's I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I want to challenge us this morning and encourage us this morning that we, like, God, God has an extraordinary life for you. And 2024, regardless of what's going on in the news, What's, regardless of what's gone over the last three years and what, regardless of what is going to happen in the election, regardless of all that stuff, that is what he has for us. That is what he has for us. Um, I'm going to do some quotes. I have two of my favorite author speakers is Bob Goff. Uh, Love Does, wrote the book, Love, Love, he has written a couple books. Love, Do, Love Does, and then Erwin McManus. And one of the, his books that really impacted me a few years ago was... Um, the last arrow, and he talks about his life as he's got getting older and just going, you know, what influence do I have as I get older, as he's in his 60s, you know, he's like, what influence do I have? And, and there's, I won't get into it a whole lot, but he just basically is like, you're still breathing, <laughs> you have a ton to give. You have a ton to give. But let me do this. Let me do this first quote from Bob Goff. And he says, if we only do what we're familiar with, we might miss what we've been made for. If we only do what we're familiar with, we might miss what we've been made for. Can any of you agree with that? Sometimes we do what's easy. Sometimes we get into a lifestyle that is like, I just, we like predictability. How many like predictability? And it's okay. I'm not going to beat on that one because I think there's something about that where you're like, I just, I know what's coming. Um, I've been pushing our family a little bit more and pushing my wife a little bit more um, on some of that stuff around travel. And, you know, we, some of you are, have been around. We, we want to travel. I want to travel with my Land Rover, which may actually drive today. I'm, hope, I'm hoping. I just got to bleed some brakes. It's been a long time coming. Um, but to travel and experience life. And part of that journey is we get into a 32-year-old truck that I know pretty well, but I haven't fixed everything yet, and I haven't replaced everything yet, and we're going to go travel to, like this spring, we'll probably travel back to Baja. Well, that's 4,500 miles there and back. 
um, and hoping that we'll get back. Not on, so the goal for us, just so everyone's clear, is to not be on a trailer this next trip home. This summer, we went all, got all the way to Homer. We got the Arctic Ocean, and we're journeying. And it's like, you're, you're like, I have some plans of where we're going to stay in camp, but I have other plans where I'm like, we're just going to go find a place. Well, that's not very predictable. Predictable is okay in certain circumstances. When you have little kids, it's important to have that. But with what Bob is saying is sometimes... We stay so much within the familiar, so much in the predictor, we don't, predictable, we don't, have, we don't have an openness to what God may have for us. Um, and so we're heading into a new year tomorrow, and I, again, I said I'm not going to talk about resolutions because I don't like them because I pretty much always fail them, so I'm like, I'm just, we're just not going to do that. But if I can encourage us a little bit to go, what about, what, what's next year, what, the, what will that look like? That's what I'm hoping for. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three things um, just to think about. And these are actually things that I spent, I spent probably a couple of years working on through a really close friend of ours who's a life coach and, and a you know, Christian coach, and they were part of our first church plant. And it was kind of my, kind of my, my mission and vision. Um, and it's like you can take them, you can take these statements, and if you want, and run with them. But this is kind of how I kind of come back in and out of my life probably for the last five, six years, and especially when we, when we you know, took ownership of, of my Land Rover. But the first thing is this. Life is meant to be uh, lived adventurously. This life is meant to be lived adventurously. This life is meant to be lived adventurously. And in, and in Christianese, I'm gonna, and I'm going to give you the story here, the, in Christianese is this life is meant to be lived by faith. But I, you know, I try and speak into Christians and non-Christians, and so I you know, spun the adventurous part and just go adventure because people understand that, the adventure part. One of my favorite um, passages um, is in, is in uh, Matthew 14, and it's, it's about Peter. And it's right after the, they've fed the 5,000. Uh, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. The disciples had fed the 5,000. And really, we know it was a lot more than that. But they fed the 5,000. It, it was amazing. It was an amazing miracle. And they, you know, they, Jesus is like, hey, uh, I'm going to go meet you on the other side. You guys jump in the boat. It's night. It's late. Go over to the other side, and, um, and I'll, I'll meet you there. And... Uh, um, and this is, you know, this is the, the kind of the, the fun part of the story is they're getting, they're in the boat, they're going across and a storm comes out of nowhere and it's waves and it's cra- like crashing and they're like water's coming into the boat and the, and the disciples, rightly so, are freaking out. I mean, the boats back then, you know, and they really haven't changed much on the Sea of Galilee. They're, they're pretty simple. Um, they're not really, you know, really designed for massive swells and um and they're there they're freaking out they're like oh my gosh we're gonna die and they look out into the water and they you know a lot of you know the story they think they see a ghost they think they see jesus and he's walking across the water he's like oh my gosh it's a ghost and it's not it's jesus in the flesh walking on water and let's just look at this um let's just look at this passage it's up on the screen then peter called to him lord if it's really you tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus' reply is, come on, let's do it, come out, come to me. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. To me, if that isn't the definition of adventure, like, I don't know what is. And a lot of times as pastors and preachers, what we do is we focus on 
what happens a few seconds later, right? Does everybody know what happens a few seconds later? He sinks. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he sinks. He begins to sink, and Jesus rescues him because he's like, oh, my, Jesus, save me. You know, we, we spend a lot of time on that part, and rightly so because Jesus speaks, encourages him, like, where's your faith? Like, do you not trust me? I focus on, and I want to focus on the fact that what? He got out of the boat. He, he had to physically, he didn't just like, hey, walk off. He physically had to put his leg up over the gunnel, up and over, and step onto the water going, okay, I'm going to, this, this is kind of crazy. It's the Sea of Galilee. There's water. We're in the middle of it, and I'm going like, I'm, I'm to get out of the boat. He got out of the boat. How many of us, when, when God has presented an opportunity to, to us that we're like, that sounds crazy, have stepped out of the boat? and we step towards it. I bet, I bet some of you have, and I bet some of us haven't. There have been times in my life where I'm like, that's too scary. I'm like, I think we should just stay where we are and keep doing what we're doing. But other times I haven't done that. I had a similar experience when I was around 11, 12 years old as the disciples, except for Jesus walking on water and saving us. Um, but we... We used to spend our, our summers, a couple weeks of our summers in British Columbia in the Okanagan Valley on the Okanagan Lake, which is one of the biggest lakes in British Columbia, and it's amazing, and it's, we spent, I think, 10 to 12 years going to the same resort, and it was awesome, and we, as we kept going, we got to know families, and, they, you know, and we all you know, became friends because we had kids, you know, the, the families had kids the same ages, and we, we would start planning, like, hey, when are you going to go to the Bluebird Bay Resort? And they're like, well, we're going to go this, we'll do the same thing, and we'd all start meeting over years and, and, and spend two weeks together, and, and it was amazing, and I learned how to water ski there. I learned, I learned we would go to the, um, the Flintstone uh, amusement park, which I don't think is there anymore. We would go there. And, um, and one of the things I also learned as I, I, I had been learning how to sail, because my dad used to sail and build a sailboat, but, but we had friends that had a catamaran, and, um, and they were like, do you want to learn how to sail a catamaran? And I'm like 11, 12 years old. Their son was 11, 12 years old, and we're, you know, I'm not, I'm not I mean, I'm not the tallest, biggest person in the world. I was way less then, and um, we're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So they, you know, over, over the course of this one couple weeks, we, we learned they taught me how to sail this catamaran. And if you don't know anything about catamarans, it's two pontoons and you have a trampoline between the two of them and you have a mast. And sometimes you have one mast, sometimes you have two, uh, depending on the size of it. And the, one of the fun things about catamarans is to be able to get it up on rails, which is you get the wind in your, in your sail, in your mainsail, and you get up on one pontoon and you're like ripping through the water. And the scary part is you have to control it so that you don't turtle. And turtle is flipping it over. And what the worst part is fully turtling and your mass is all the way down. And now it's like, now it's a, it's a bigger deal to, uh, to write it. So my friend, I, I, I don't remember names very well, but this friend of mine, I, it was a calm day, a little bit of a breeze, and the, both dads were like, yeah, go out and have fun. And so we're going out. And the, the Okanagan Lake is a lot like the Sea of Galilee. Um, storms come up just like that. They come over these western mountains and the uh, wind will come through and it'll, you'll go from calm, perfect water skiing, barefooting water to like, uh, holy cow, I need to get back to shore. So we're out there in the middle of the lake, sailing, having a great time, and the storm comes up. And the next thing we know, we're on rails, go, ripping through the water. One of us is, the, my friend is like trying to control the rudder and stuff like that, and I'm climbing up on top of the, the top uh, pontoon 
to get it over. Well, I weighed probably like 80 pounds. The inevitability was we turtled. We flipped. And the, it was scary, but it was also awesome. Um, as a kid, you're like, oh my gosh, it was amazing. And then the, the, just like when the storm came up, the storm just died. And we're sitting there. We're like, okay, what are we going to do? We weren't that far. We were probably like a mile off from, from, our, from the resort, but um, in the middle of the lake. And next thing we know, this big... Uh, um, yacht comes up, and this man comes out, boys, do you need a hand? And we've, we're like, yeah. So he managed to tow us and kind of tow us back closer to shore so we could write the, write the, the pontoon. Came to find out that he was the president of Shell Canada, and so his, it was a really big yacht. But, but the, the, to tell that story, it was like, I would never have that story if I wouldn't have said, I'm going to go do that. I want to go learn, as, a, as an 11, 12-year-old boy. And from that moment, it, I started learning how to sail better, and so and then I got to start teaching sailing at, at a resort on the same at a Bible camp on the same lake, and got to teach kids how to sail just you know just little little sailboats, and it was amazing because I said yes at 11 years old, 12 years old to go. I'm going to do something really risky, and I have no idea what's going to happen, and you know, but let's just do it. That's part of the the adventure part is that we we want to we want to live about we want to get out of some of the comfort and get into the passion, get into the adventure. It's about trust. It's about faith. It's believing that, that getting back to that, the, the idea that, that God has an extraordinary life for you if you're willing to take it. Um, another story about acceptance. Um, I came to Christ in, in 1987, and I spent about a year and a half being discipled by um, by Pastor Dave, who was my college pastor, and he, was, he just spoke into me, spoke into me, spoke into me, and was like, I think you should, I think God's calling you to ministry, and I had already felt that early on, but he's like, you probably should go to school, and this church I was a part of was uh, Missionary Alliance uh, Church, and they had a college in Regina, Saskatchewan, and it was a really good college, um, and he's like, I mean, you, sh- you should apply. So this is in, in 1989. So I apply to the school. And then I go out, and, well, I've got to pay for school. So I go out, and what we do in, in Western Canada is, is you tree plant as college students. And it's basically all, you do the same thing in Western, uh, Western United States. All um, logging companies have to reforce whatever they, whatever they cut down. So they send in college students, 20-somethings, and they spend a summer and plant trees. And you can make a lot of money. You can also make no money. Um, but I went, and I was like, well, I'm going to go plant trees. And I get on this crew that was great. It was, there was a bunch of Christians on it. And we, you know, it was a great, you know, great kind of month. But I hadn't heard. We're, we're now in July, and I hadn't heard anything from uh, Canadian Bible College, anything about student loans, um, if I got accepted or anything, and I'm like, um, I have plans to be in college by September, and I don't know where I'm going to school. Well, the 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 Christians that were the other crew members that were part of the, uh, our crew were at a college where, from where I was living in Edmonton called North American Baptist College, and they're like, well, Ken, why you why I mean, it can't hurt, just throw an application into NABC and see what happens. So I'm like, well, all right, and so I don't know how I did that. We didn't have internet. I'm not sure even sure how I, I think I called them. But I filled out my application, filled out my student loan forms, and literally within two weeks, I was accepted to, with full, full support and you know, student loans, um, and I'm not advocating student loans, but at the time I did, um, to North American Baptist College in two weeks. Still never heard from Canadian Bible College. And so I chose to do that. I stepped into that unknown. I'm like, I don't even, like, I sort of know where it is in Edmonton. Like, I had gone to, I had, 
down to high school in the area, but I'm like, I don't really know where this is. My parents were moving. I'm like, I'm going to have to go to this college. I don't know anybody there. I knew people from the, I mean, I knew people from the crew, but I decided, I was like, I'm going to step into that. And part of the reason I stepped into that is when I was being discipled by Pastor Dave, he would say all these things to me, and it took me about a year or so to start believing the truth and, the tr- and, the, and kind of the extraordinary life stuff that he was speaking into me. He's like, I see you as a leader. I see you, you know, raising people up and discipling people. I see you planting churches, which I was like, you're crazy. And I'm like, you know, you say this to everybody? Like, and, but in the midst of that, that discipleship journey with him, I remember having a prayer moment with God and going, just simply going, God, I don't, I don't really know what you have for me. I really don't. Like, I can't know, you know, 10 years down the road. I, you know, I didn't know that I was going to marry Kristen and have amazing kids and stuff like that. But I was like, what, what I can do is when you open a door for me, I will, tr- I will trust you and walk through that door. And that was about 19, 19, 20 years old. And I've tried to do that my whole life, and I'm 56. I've tried to do that with every situation. This situation, being your worship leader, is 100% me doing that. Because I was done staffing churches. Marcus knows that. But I, was, I liked Marcus. I like his family. I think they're great. And I'm like, God, I'm going to trust you with this. That you're not, you know, I'm not going to get hurt. I'm not going to get burnt out. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm not, I'm just all the things that I've had experience with. And I stepped into it. And... Y'all are a blessing. I've said this multiple times. You're a blessing to me, to my family. And that's part of it is the, the we don't know what God has for us, but to, to understand that he has something extraordinary for us and to live adventurously, to live by faith, to step, to be Peter and get out of the boat and walk on water. That's what he's calling us, calling us to. Another, here's a quote from Erwin McManus. Um, We're afraid to die because we've actually been afraid to live. We're afraid to die because we've actually been afraid to live. There's another quote from a great author, um, Henry David Thoreau, and it's, it's similar to this. He basically, it's, it's pretty famous, um, but he basically goes, I went to the woods to live deliberately, and then he has a few, a few more statements in there, but to, to, come to, when I, to come to when I was about to die to find that I had not truly lived. For me, part of our move to the mountains and for our family was to live different than living in suburban Denver. Six years of living on four acres has, has changed our family significantly. Sometimes we're like, oh, is this a good move? But most of the time, we're like, this is 100% the best move. Because we want to live deliberately. We don't want to be afraid of death because we're afraid that we hadn't truly lived. I don't want to be that person that, that you know, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be my kids to be the, that person, to, to be afraid to step out, to get out of the boat. I want to ch- I challenge my kids to think differently, to think beyond what's right in front of them. And it's a scary season right now. It's a scary time in our, in our world to, to think adventurously, to think you know, bigger and crazier. But when we live a life of faith, we step into what God has for us in, in extraordinary ways. Let me just put this in front of you too. What doors are being opened to you right now that you're maybe afraid to walk through, that you're praying about? 
I would encourage you to, to lay it at his feet and just go, I'm going I'm to step into it. I'm going to step through it. Now, there have been some doors that I've definitely kicked down, um, and those didn't go real well. So, like, you'll know when it's, when it's a God situation. And here's the other little thing. There's a, there's a quote back in the, I don't know if it was the 80s or 90s, but it was like when God, I think it was a song too, um, when God you know, closes a door, he opens a window. No, that is bad theology, okay? God is not a thief. He doesn't sneak into places, you know, through windows and back doors. He opens a front door for you, and you walk through it, okay? And that's a little bit of my silly, stupid humor. But another quote, and as I said, it's going to be quotes and stories, right? Um, another quote from Irwin. Will you choose to live, or will you choose, or will you just lie there until death takes you? And I don't want this to be, like, you, I say some of these quotes in the, the video clip, and I'm like, I don't want this to be like a, oh, man, this is pretty heavy. It's not meant to be heavy. It is about to go, like, man, you guys, like, I don't know if you can see, like, as I'm ramping up in a little bit of this, like, there's some passion in this for me. Like, because I, I, I look at my life at 56, and I go, I, like, I have tons more life. But sometimes at, you start getting into your mid to later 50s, and you start going, and older, you're like, eh. you know, I got nothing left. I, again, a lie from the enemy. Sometimes you can be in your 20s or 30s or 40s and be, think the same thing. You're like, I got nothing. I don't have a lot of talent. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a musician. I'm not a vocalist. You know, I, I, God didn't call me to ministry to be a pastor. doesn't matter. God has called you for a reason, for your area of influence in your family, in your job, in your community. He has called you. And I'm going to get into that here in a little bit. So just remember, life is meant to be lived adventurously. Life is meant to be lived adventurously. When, um, when Chris and I uh, met and married, we were in Sioux Falls. We had a, we, you know, I had started a church plant. Um, we had a dear, dear friend of ours. Her name was Tristan Larson. And she was part of our youth staff at the, the big church that, we were, that I was on staff with. She was part of our youth staff. Um, and she was part of, she ended up becoming part of our church plan, part of being our first community group. She sang with me. She had a great voice. Uh, she had just the most incredible personality and, and beautiful, like physically beautifully beautiful, but beautiful spirit and heart for people and for God. And, um, and she battled cancer. The whole time we knew her, she battled cancer and four times. And, um, and it was, it was, I've said this with a few different people, um, talking, talking about some of that, that time, um, in one hand, it was super sad to watch her struggle through that. Cause she had, you know, you go through the chemo, you go through the radiation. Um, she had to do, you know, stem cells. She had to, not stem cells. She had to do white, white blood cells. And we would travel, we would go with her, whether it was in Sioux Falls or down to, uh, uh, Omaha, but I remember um, going to, it was just across the, the street, we, had two big hosp- two, we have two big hospitals in Sioux Falls, and I remember going with her to do some of her, her, uh, her chemo treatments and bringing my guitar, and we would just sit there in these, you know, the big comfy chairs and just worship, and the nurses would be like, are you coming back? Like, you're coming back too, Ken, right? Like, like we, we want to worship with you and sing. We don't, some of the, sometimes they didn't know those songs, like they, some, some of the nurses, the staff weren't Christians, but they just loved that we were doing that. And I don't really want to focus on the fact that, that um, Tristan had cancer. But what I want to focus on is her best friend and what happened round four. 
Round four, um, it was through doing the white blood cells and all that transplanting, and, and which is pretty much, I mean, chemo and radiation is killing you no matter what, but like, it, that's even worse, and you have to be very careful. And round four came, uh, came through, and it, it was, it, she was, I mean, you're going to die. It didn't take. And her best friend, and one of our best friends, was a, a man by the name of Jake Merriman, and he, for, for a long time, he had been on staff with us too at the, large, at the mother church. He had loved her from a distance. Loved her. And they, were, you know, they would hang out. They would all hang out. They all went to university together. But, but Tristan was so, rightly so, was so concentrating on her recovery and trying to beat cancer. She, you know, she kind of kept him at, a, at arm's distance. You're my friend, but that's it. And round four came through and realized that it hadn't taken. And... Um, Jake asked her to marry him. He's like, I want you to be married. I love you more than anything. And I don't, whether we have six months together, two years together, I want you to know how much I love you and that you're loved by me. And so they got married, got to be at her wedding, play at her wedding, and, and it was amazing. It was incredible. She lasted about a month and a half. But the story is about that is, is more about the fact that Jake loved her, and this is the next thing, he loved her extravagantly. He loved her extravagantly. To love others extravagantly, beyond yourself. And I could do the story of the, of the woman caught in the, or the, the, um, the prostitute anointing Jesus and, and uh, you know, with you know, years' worth of perfume, all those stories. But the story that's the most powerful to me is this story um, um, about the friends who brought the, uh, the, 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 the paralyzed man to Jesus. Um, let me just, let's read this together. Mark 2, 1 through 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. That's extravagant love. Like, how far, when we think about the story of Tristan, like, yes, it brings, like, it's still, like, it's a powerful story for us. And, and um, but, I, like, how far are we willing to go for our friends, for the people that we love? For even, and how far are we willing to go for the people that we don't love? God didn't design us to hate people. God didn't design us to to want to hurt people. He designed, he designed us, created us to be in relationship with one another. And I get that there's, there are bad people out there. There are bad people doing really, really horrible things out there. But in the immediacy of our lives, how many of the people that maybe you don't like, God's calling you to love extravagantly? Now, we don't really know in this story, really, like, was, you know, were these friends, you know, this guy's friend? Or were they just like, were they, you know, were they, they saw this paralyzed man, they're like, man, we, we got to get him to Jesus. We don't really know. Were they best friends? Were they college roommates? You know, we don't know any of that stuff. 
But what we do know is they went to extraordinary lengths to bring him to Jesus because they knew that if they brought him to Jesus, Jesus would heal him. Marx is talking about inviting friends and family and coworkers, whatever, to, to come, in, to, to, come to, to the building. It's not the church. That's always a tension that we have. Come to church. It's a building where the church gathers. But there's something powerful and magnificent and miraculous about when the body of Christ gathers together and how lives can change. Lives can change in the midst of this gathering, in the midst of the gatherings that are going to be happening increasingly in homes, in the relationships over breakfast, when you speak truth and life and you love extravagantly. God's calling us to live differently, to go out of our way to, to, to meet people where they are. Another quote from Bob. Love is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Simply put, love does. How many of us think a lot about doing things? I should do that for my friends, for my neighbors. Anybody? I think about that with my neighbors all the time. And, I, and when I talk about the love extravagantly part and the like, not, not, um, not caring for people that, you know, maybe stress us out. We live in the mountains. We live, you know, out in uh, Lower Pine. And I have some neighbors that are squirrely and, uh, and, you know, have, you know, don't have, like, they have, you know, no trespassing, like, nice pretty signs. We have no trespassing pretty signs because people come onto our property. Um, I... I you know, I, for, I chose not to do the no trespassing big gun sign um, and, and cameras on, which one of my neighbors has, my immediate neighbors has. And, I, and I've struggled with this family. I struggle with the dad, and I'm struggling with the son. And I know that that is something that God is calling me to, 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 to step out and be kinder, to be more, you know, just more Jesus in the midst of that. And I, when, so when I say this stuff, I'm not saying this is easy. But with Jesus, all things are possible, right? And so thinking about being nicer to my neighbor and actually being nicer to my neighbor, going out of my way to be nicer to my neighbor are two different things. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. He said, stop thinking about it. Stop thinking about it. Just do it. And that's why one of the things I love about Bob Goff is that he, you know, he, in his, if you haven't read Love Does, and he has a second one, you should because it's a, it's a great book about just doing our lives were meant to be lived out and in and through love, deep, abiding, affectionate love, not just for the people that are easiest to love, our families. And actually, to be honest, sometimes our families are the hardest to love. But he has called us to do that, to love extravagantly. So where does that lead us? Well, um, the, the idea is, is, you know, you can... You can live adventurously, get out, get out of the boat. You can love extravagantly. But the biggest thing is that God has called you to even more. God has called you to be a leader, to, to lead those around you, to be in a, in a position of leadership. And leadership looks very different for everybody in this room. But he's called you to be intentionally living out your life in front of people. Um, there's a great... And we're going to read this chunk of, of scripture together. This is out of 1 Peter 2. Um, and this is what God has called us to. This is what he is calling us to right now in this moment going into 2024. So this is Peter writing. 
You're coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into, spiritual, into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ. So just, did you see that? He's calling everybody. He's, this isn't just to the men in the room. This isn't just to the women in the room or the kids in the room. He's calling you priests. And he's not calling you priests like Catholicism or, you know, any of that. He, that is not, it is about being a pastor priest, right? He's calling you to be an elder. He's, call, he's calling everyone in this room out to be in leadership. You're his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And as the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people he, he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are the royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others, hear this, you're a chosen people, and as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. If that doesn't like encourage you and, and maybe a little bit excite you to go, like one, that you're a chosen people, Growing up, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what I was called to do until I met Jesus at 18. And it was cool when I found, you know, found out my, that I had been adopted, and you've heard some of that story, go back to whatever the messages that I preached, I think it was that, my hour message, you can hear that story, but when at around 17, 18, I found out that I was adopted, and, it, and, and, and then I came to Christ, and I was like, you know what's really cool? I wrestled with the whole adoption thing. Um, but I got to meet, you know, meet my biological mom this summer physically. And, but what was cool about the, the adoption thing is I got chosen twice. So the adoption and the Jesus piece, chosen twice. I'm just a little bit better than some of you. Just saying. I got chosen twice. But everyone in this room has been chosen, chosen for a purpose, chosen to point, point your neighbors, point your family, point those around you to the goodness of God. We just sang that song, The Goodness of God. All my life, I've been, been grateful and thankful and faithful. That's what God is to us through Jesus. Think about your life right now. and Think about what you're doing and, and how much of it is being lived because you've been called um, and how much of it is being lived, lived, being lived out simply because you're breathing. We're going into a new year. I don't know about you, but I want to do more than just breathe. Right? So in the end, this life flows through you so that you will lead intentionally and influence those around you. That's what this life, we've been given one life, you guys. Every, like, we don't follow other religions where we get to get reincarnated. It is one life. One life. What are you going to do with it? Whether you're six years old or you're 80 years old, it doesn't matter. 90 years old or 100 years old. I mean, people are living longer, right? It doesn't matter. You're breathing, you still have more to do and more to encourage 
and more to, to, to more opportunities to love and to, to get out of the boat and to live adventurously. And this is my last, my last quote from Irwin. And the team can come up. So the great tragedy would be to live your life waiting for that moment to come instead of living your life preparing for when the moment comes. In God's economy, nothing is wasted. Everything you do today that seems insignificant will find its significance. You should never see any task as too small for you. If small is what you were entrusted with, that's your stewardship. What's God calling you to in 2024? I don't know. I can't answer that. And I honestly, I can't even answer that in my own life. I'm trying to take it one day at a time. We look at, you know, we look at a month out, two months out, but we're, but, but I don't want to be so planned and so like, so regimented that I miss an opportunity to walk through another door, to have another opportunity to get out of the boat, have another opportunity to love those around me, to have another opportunity to, to, to be Jesus and to speak Jesus, to encourage someone through Jesus. So we're going to sing one more song. And I love, I love this song, The Blessing, because it's, because it's the, the ironic blessing where, where he's speaking over Israel. God is using Aaron to speak and to pray over Israel. And, he's, and he's, he's going. He's like, I want to pray a blessing over your family, over your children, over your children's children. And I am for you. I am for you. Hear that right now. That God is saying, I am for you. And man, I have, some, I have some crazy stuff for you this year. Some crazy, exciting stuff for you if you're willing to walk through the door. Just step over that threshold. Some of you might run through it and you're like, man, this is what I've been waiting for. And some of you are like, you might need to get pushed. But that's why you have friends and family to help you. Right? Father, I just, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for who you've called us to be. You've chosen us. Sometimes that, that passage alone, that sentence alone blows my mind. You've chosen me. You've chosen everybody in this room for your purposes. Father, I pray that this morning, maybe, maybe the first step is just to throw that leg over the, the side of the boat, keeping our eyes fixed on you, and walk on water. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you, you, you went through that door for us knowing full well what it, would, what it would cost. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave us the Holy Spirit to give us the strength and the, and the courage to get out of the boat, to, to trust in the plans that you have for us. Help us this morning to be different as we walk out these doors. Not to make resolutions, not to Resolu- I don't know, resolutions, just to not worry about those things. God, help us not to do the things that the world does, but help, help us just to dive deeper into you. 
And maybe some of us right now, we're in the valley. And we're desperately trying to find a way out. Well, this is that moment. Jesus is reaching down and giving you a hand to, 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 to help you out, to pick you up and to carry you out so you can get to, that, to, the, so you can get to the top of the mountain get filled up and encouraged and find joy and excitement again so that you're ready to go back into the valley. We are created for both. We're never meant to live on top of the mountain. You create, create us to go into those low places and to do what Jesus has done for every one of us, to reach, it, to reach into the darkness and pull out our friends. Thank you for the blessing. Thank you for for the fact that you are for us. Help us to worship this morning like our lives depend on it. In Jesus' name.